Welcome to Code and Conduit, a legal podcast by Bloomberg Law, where we talk about tech, telecom, intellectual property, privacy, and cybersecurity. The year was 2008. The mysterious and still unknown figure named Satoshi Nakamoto published a white paper describing the invention of Bitcoin cryptocurrency. Satoshi didn't rush to the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office and apply for patents on it, though. Since, however, some of the world's biggest companies, like IBM and Bank of America, have been applying for patents as they innovate the underlying technology of Bitcoin, known as blockchain. On this episode of Code and Conduit, we are joined by Ropes and Gray intellectual property litigation partner Leslie Spencer and attorney Marta Belcher. Leslie and Marta will tell us more about how blockchain's very anti-patent and open source beginning has continued to shape companies' patent strategies to this point. And they'll talk about how companies are making early efforts to ward off infringement litigation in the industry. So one of the challenges that exists uh, for patenting blockchain technology is parsing through what aspects of the, these inventions are actually patentable. So what are some of the early lessons that you're seeing about how the PTO is issuing patents in this area? Sure. I think you know what you'll see here is maybe un- not unlike other software regimes where you have to consider where your um, invention lies in sort of the software stack. If you're closer to the hardware, if what you've developed is something that is maybe an improvement on on mining or um, some sort of hardware accelerator, then you're going to have less of an issue in terms of getting um, a patent through and overcoming Alice challenges. On the other hand, if what you've patented is a particular use case, an application of blockchain, um, then you may face some of the same hurdles you would anticipate with even a business method patent in that you're going to have to show that you've made it a, a improvement to computer technology, the underlying computer system. Um, And that may be more challenging. I would add that the types of patents we're seeing being issued in the blockchain space uh, typically fall into two categories. So a lot of the patents are uh, applications of blockchain, so blockchain for supply chain, for example. And then the other category is improvements on the blockchain itself. So for example, uh, ways of querying a blockchain. Uh, and uh, Leslie and I actually did a sampling of 20 granted patents and took a look at how long it was taking for them to be issued. And at least from that sample, they weren't actually being, uh, they weren't taking a lot longer than uh, other non-blockchain patents to be issued. They're keeping up with the pace. Right. <laughs> the PTO is keeping up with the pace. Well, there is also this debate about whether within industry, whether you should patent or not. There's a lot of cryptocurrency companies that may not want to patent anything that they're doing. They want to rely on open source code uh, to build their inventions. What do, but there's risks with that too. So what, do, what advice would you give to companies who are considering, do we need to patent? If so, what, what kind of risks come with open source? Well, I think many layers to that question, but uh, to start with a few, and I'm sure Marta could add a a few more, is that um, part of the challenge is just dealing with the difference in the, the, for lack of a better term, the ethos in um, the blockchain community, which like most software communities maybe leans more towards everything should be open source and patents are bad. 
Okay, that's one extreme. Everything should be shareable. So that's one extreme, um, for very much more like research and academia. Um, and then we look at where the we anticipate and we even are starting to see the blockchain uses come along. And those are in financial services. Those are in um, applications related to supply chain management, things that are very much commercial um, applications where um, the notion of protecting your innovation through the patent regime is well understood and, and valued. Very and traditional institutions. Exactly. And so some of the challenges will be if you're considering, um, first of all, should I patent? Um, dealing with the internal politics of that tension. That that will be one, one hurdle. Um, the next is if I do in fact patent, um, if I'm using um, components of my system that are open source, some of the fundamental um, building blocks, put aside the Bitcoin blockchain, which is, which is public and open source, even the um, instantiations we see like Hyperledger and others are fundamentally built on open source. And if I'm writing on one of those systems or Ethereum, um, how much of what I'm doing may potentially have to be dedicated to the public as well? How much will it put restrictions on what I'm able to patent depending on which license it runs under? Um, and then the is issue of if I'm trying to work with another project where I need interoperability between, say, Ethereum and Hyperledger, are there some conflicts between the open source requirements under each of those regimes. And so, like I said, many layers there. I'm sure, Marta, you can add a few more there. But uh, there's a lot. there are a lot of issues one has to think through by definition in blockchain that maybe don't happen with the same frequency and, and other software um, regimes because it, there's, it's not so fundamentally based on the, the underlying platform being an open source platform. Yeah, Marta, what, what else would you add? So I think for these... Uh, blockchain companies uh, and the general counsels of these blockchain companies, uh, there is a pressure to patent uh, either from investors uh, or because, you know, for very good reason, they want to make sure that what their patent, what they're inventing uh, is before the patent office uh, when they're looking at issuing other patents. They don't want someone else to get a patent on their invention and they want to make sure that the prior art is clarified. And so a lot of them feel that they, they should be patenting. Another reason is they, if they are ever sued for patent infringement by a competitor, they want to be able to countersue with one of their patents. Um, so there are all sorts of good reasons to patent, but at the same time, as Leslie has highlighted, um, there's this open source ethos in the community. Uh, and so what a lot of these companies are doing is they are going ahead and patenting, but they are looking at ways to open up their patents to the public so that their patents are being used you know, from their perspective um, for good. And so they're turning to uh, patent pledges and patent pools um, in order to open up their inventions but still have patents on them. That's really interesting. Leads into my next question about how companies are preparing now for the threat of blockchain patent litigation because there's some crossover there. Using patent pools and pledges can actually uh, help prevent litigation in some cases, but it is also allowing these companies to stick with that ethos that's coming from their, in, internally from a lot of their developers, that they want to be sharing what they're developing. So could you talk a little bit more about um, th that other aspect of it, of how these uh, pledges and pools can actually prevent future litigation down the line? Sure. Uh, so a patent pledge is essentially just a company giving up some of its own patent rights. So the, the purest example would be Tesla uh, opening up its inventions to the public. Um, and so uh, in a patent pledge, um, companies just sort of 
open up their uh, open up their inventions. Um, for example, uh, Coinbase actually just sort of wrote a, a blog post saying, um, you know, how they're thinking about patents, and um, you know, you have to think about the legal enforceability of that. Um, and then you also have. Um, uh, something like the license on transfer network where a bunch of companies opt in and are licensing to each other. So you're not just opening your patents up to the public, um, but rather to others in the same network who are also making the same pledge. And the idea there is um, if, if the patents are so with a license on transfer network, for example, uh, the license does not actually um, become uh, active until you actually transfer to a third party. So if, let's say, a blockchain startup were to go under and it was a member of the license on transfer network. Also uh, known as the lot network. Also yeah. known as the lot network. It's patents. Um, it, it, often what happens is startups go under, it goes into bankruptcy, it, their patents get sold to patent trolls. Patent trolls, and, patent assertion entities, however you want to nicely call those. <laughs> exactly. So the idea here is um, if, if the startup is a member of LOT, its patents um, are automatically licensed at that point when they're transferred uh, to a third party uh, that is a patent troll. Um, they're automatically licensed to everyone in the network. So everyone in the network cannot be sued with those patents. Is protected with a free license regime. But yeah, and I want to pick up on that point. I mean, while that is um, helpful and has proved um, in, in many respects quite popular in terms of a strategy for protecting against um, suits by non-practicing entities, it doesn't necessarily put you in the, the place where you can say, now I have a complete defensive patent strategy, right? So you have to think of other um, approaches. And that's everything from building your own defensive portfolio, as, as Marta highlighted, that um, in addition to just the, the general notion of we, we want to have patents for purposes of investment, we want to have patents because people kind of use that as a proxy for value, um, there's a notion of being able to have patents that in the event that you are sued, you would have something to, to sit across the table with. Um, in addition, the notion of being able to patent in a way that, frankly, um, you're creating blocking patents for some of your competitors. I mean, if you're for, for, for business, you want to think about how your patents may cover someone else's. And even if it's not a, for purposes of generating revenue, it may be for purposes of protecting the, the market that, that you are, you're entitled to by virtue of your patent. Um, so I think those are considerations when you think about, I think what particularly in blockchain where we're probably some ways away from large scale litigation, what you have to be thinking about is, well, am I putting myself in the best position, not only in the event of litigation, but um, so that I have the room to operate in this market because it's still very, very new. It's not clear yet where, what's going to be more profitable, what what use cases are going to be the ones that are going to drive um, even further innovation in this area. Am I putting myself in the best position to leverage into any of those areas I might like to? And and that's that's a very complete strategy. It's not just, am I worried about being sued by a troll, right? Absolutely. Um, last question, do you see any other aspects about that are specific to blockchain technology that may shape how this industry moves towards pools or moves towards pledges that you've seen a, a different from past technology revolutions or, or technology innovations? I think some of what I was getting to there in terms of the um, uncertainty in terms of what are going to be the use cases that ultimately get the most traction and 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 
tend to be commercialized is another thing may be a hindrance to um, forming pools. You've got a diverse set of industries right now that are, um, you know, for lack of a better term, taking a foray into blockchain, but you not yet know where they want that to end up in in, in the long run. You don't yet know where, um, for example, regulation is going to make a shift in, in where things are going to be used. And so people may sit on the sidelines, and maybe rightly so, saying, I'm not sure I need a pool with this group um, because I'm not even sure what my relevant industry group will be yet. Um, if I am, for example, think about something like a car company who right now um, is pro- maybe thinking primarily of how uh, blockchain, or at least classically would think about how blockchain would impact the supply chain, but they're also, as we speak now, morphing into commerce it, um you know, their transportation systems are commerce systems, and car companies are looking at how they're evolving in that way. And so, maybe my relevant industry group uh, is financial services, and and do, right. And so, who who's and, and it may be all those people. I mean, lots of perfect example. It actually is all of those people who have come together. But would that make a very efficient and effective pool? Remains to be seen. I would add that I think the blockchain industry is unique in that the ethos is really driving the industry towards uh, towards patent pledges um, and patent pools. Um, there have been industry-wide discussions happening um, for years on this uh, and uh, continuing to happen about developing a patent pledge that is specific to the blockchain industry. And what you're seeing is already, um, even though there, you know, that hasn't necessarily come to full fruition, um, on, on the one hand, I think um, everyone realizes that a lot of what you need for that to be successful is uh, the network effect. Um, and they do actually have a lot of the big players at the table um, talking about this. Um, and in the interim, a lot of companies are, um, while they're while they're waiting for this multilateral blockchain um, patent pledge to to take off, are really looking to unilateral patent pledges and pledging their their patents uh, unilaterally. Um, so, for example, Blockstream has. Uh, adopted Twitter's innovators patent agreement, meaning that their engineers have, uh, who who are the inventors of any of their patents, have essentially veto power over future offensive lawsuits. Um, and Blockstream has at the same time opted into another multilateral pledge called the defensive patent license. Um, so I think you're seeing a ton of interest in this industry in particular. And um, at some point, I, I if we, uh, in the interim, while we're waiting for a multilateral pool to take off, um, I think you'll see a lot more unilateral pledges. Yeah, and I hate to get the business of predictions, but one I think would, if not a prediction, a area where I'd say logically would anticipate pools may develop faster. And first is thinking about the, the layers of, of software and systems that are involved with blockchain that would make more sense that you came to a pool in the areas of like the core um, mining systems or the... Um, you know some of the the hardware and 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 semiconductor chips that are, are focused on blockchain uh, mining. If you came to a patent pool in that space, if you came to a patent pool in the area of security and authentication, where it's it's kind of so clear that that it layers where you probably have a smaller set of players and you can maybe get to consensus quicker. I think it's going to be more challenging when you think about cryptocurrency protocols because there's so many, right? Already there's so many um, cryptocurrencies. Or if you think about particular use cases, that's where it's going to be more challenging to get to, um, I think, a consensus. The other thing I want to add there um, is that um, I mentioned the state action. So I think we can't discount how much China 
um, right now is, frankly, in terms of top number of patents. Right now, they are among the top 10 patenters they are in blockchain. They patenting left and right. Yep. Um, and app- and applying at the very least, applying for different. Well, and, and China have issued patents, right? Because those utility, they're essentially utility models and they issue much faster. Um, and they have a regime now in place that will enforce those. Um, and I, I think I'm probably not going on a limb to suggest that they maybe would have little interest in joining some of the standard setting organizations or pools that we're talking about and, and the industry here is waiting for. And that's a wild card. I'm not sure anyone can really predict um, right now. Something to keep our eyes on. Absolutely. Well, thank you both so much for sharing your perspective today. Thank you for coming in. This has been fantastic. Thanks for having us. Thanks so much. Thank you for tuning in to Bloomberg Law's Code and Conduit. For more on this story or for the other topics that we cover, visit us at www.bna.com and sign up for a free trial. Or check out all of our podcasts at Code and Conduit's SoundCloud page. This episode was produced by me, Michaela Ross. You can follow me on Twitter at the handle Michaela Ross A.